Let me tell you the story of a new world that is coming. It is the story where brokenness is mended and justice is complete. It is a story where hope becomes reality and love has free reign. It is the story of a future that is whole, where all creation is set right. It is a story of a worthy redeemer making everything new. Good morning once again, everybody. So good to be with you, to see you. It's a joy to speak to you, as always. So let's start things off with a pop quiz. Is that okay, kids? (laughs) I saw all the heads just drop. Like, no, this is supposed to be the weekend. But this is important because this new series completely ties in and connects to the last series. The last series we did was called, what was it called? You can say it. That's right, commingled. And we talked about when we see reality, when we see life, the way that Jesus sees life, we see like he sees, then we see three things. We see three things. What were they? What was the first thing that we see when we see like Jesus? The starts with a G. The good. But we also see stuff that isn't so good. What do we call that? The broken. And maybe most importantly, what do we see when we look forward with Jesus? The future. The good, the broken, and the future. We talked about not just seeing those things, but affirming and then celebrating the good. We talked about not just acknowledging what's broken, but mourning it, actually feeling it with people. And we talked about not just seeing the future, but agreeing with the future and then participating in the coming wholeness. But what exactly does that mean? What does it mean when we say we're going to look to the future with Jesus? Who's future? What future? How is that future supposed to be good when we look around and see so much brokenness? And what do we mean by the kingdom of God? Jesus said that phrase so many times. We say it so many times, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. What do we mean by the coming wholeness, the one true narrative of redemption? If the gospel is a story, then how does it end? How does it all end? Well, to start to answer that, those questions, let's look at our memory verse, our memory verse for this series. It comes from Revelation 21, verse 5. And let us, there it is, let us read it all together. You ready? One, two, three. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. They're trustworthy 
and true. We should pay attention to that. How many times does God say or Jesus say, uh, write this down, right? Usually what he says just kind of stands on its own, but he makes a point to say, write it down because you can count on this. All right. Does anyone still have cable TV? I guess some somebody does out there. Well, do you remember HGTV? Remember that channel? TLC, HGTV? So remember all those home shows, those renovation shows, those uh, real estate shows? And I found out by sitting in the doctor's office recently that those are still on. That's still a channel. Those shows are still happening. And... Um, <clears throat> And uh, they're still going strong. Some of them have, have been going now for 15 years or something like that, maybe more. So remember Trading Spaces? Remember that one? That was like one of the OG home reno shows, and it was such a hit. And we all watched it, and don't pretend like you didn't, because you did. And so this was where um, two neighbors would uh, you know, trade spaces. So you had like a weekend or something to renovate one of the rooms in their homes with a designer. And then you did the big reveal, right? Like, here's your living room, here's your living room. And it got awkward because usually people hated what the neighbors had done to their living room. Um, but it was good television, wasn't it? So here's another one, um, love it or list it. That one I think is still going on, yeah? So this one, is there's a designer and then there's a, a, a real estate agent, right? And so they go meet with this family in their home and the designer wants to renovate the home so that they'll stay or love it, right? But the real estate agent wants to show them bigger and better homes so they will list it, sell it, and move to the new home, right? So it's like this competition. So um, here's a question for you. What do you think they do more often? Do they stay or do they go? Do they stay in their renovated house or do they go to the new house? What do you think happens more often? You're absolutely correct. Um, so that wasn't as big of a, oh, as I wanted it to be because you already knew, but still, it's, it's fine. Yeah, no, I actually looked this up. 70% of the time, at least by season nine, 70% of the time, people love it. They stay. They stay in their newly renovated homes. Isn't that interesting? Okay, back to YouTube from a few weeks ago. I watch a lot of renovation videos on YouTube. People, uh, or restoration too, like people that restore tools or knives or furniture, you name it, like they're restoring it. And I love it. I love it because there's something special about watching something old and worn and broken be restored to its original, pristine, beautiful state. There's something special about that. Why are these shows so popular? Why do we love the restoration of things? I think because it is hardwired into our DNA. I think it's the image of God in us, in which we were created. Here's how John Eldridge puts it author of all things new and we'll put it up on the screen for you okay this is how he puts it the thing you are made for is the renewal of all things 
God has given you a heart for his kingdom. Did you hear that? God has given you a heart for his kingdom. Not the wispy vagaries of a cloudy heaven, but the sharp reality of the world made new. This is one of the most important things you can know about yourself. Did you know this about yourself? When was the last time you told yourself as you looked in the mirror in the morning, good morning, you have a heart for the kingdom. This explains so much, it will be such an enormous help to you. It explains your anger and all of your addictions. It explains your cry for justice. And it also explains the growing hopelessness, resignation, cynicism, and defeat. If we listen with kindness and compassion to our own souls, we will hear the echoes of a hope so precious we can barely put words to it. A wild hope we can hardly bear to embrace. God put it there. He also breathed the corresponding promise into the earth. It is the whisper that keeps coming to us in moments of golden goodness. All people long for wholeness and restoration, whether they know it or not. We were created for citizenship in the kingdom of God. We were designed to thrive in Eden. That's how we were made, to design, we were designed to thrive in the Garden of Eden. It was a gift to us. It was a colony of heaven planted on the earth. But in their humanity, Adam and Eve, and therefore all of us, we chose to try our own way. And in our sin, we broke that connection, that union between heaven and earth between God's heart and our hearts. And some call this the fall, right? Some call that the fall. But though, hear me, church, though innocence was lost in that fall, hope was never lost. Is that true? Although innocence was lost in that fall, hope was never, never lost. And this is a series ultimately about hope when you get down to it this is about hope and i don't mean the kind of hope that's like i hope that goes well which is really kind of a i'm afraid it's not going to go well right and i don't mean the kind of hope where it's a good word to use because we need to feel good we don't really think about what it means i mean an unshakable confidence that what is coming is good that what is coming is good i mean a soul that's anchored by knowing that the end of the story is written by love real hope is fully agreeing with the truth that jesus is making all things new so sit with that for a second real hope is fully agreeing with the truth that jesus is making all things new and notice this, in our memory verse, Jesus doesn't say, behold, I make all new things. Is that what it said, kids? I make all new things? No. He makes all things new. When we lose our mother or our father to illness, we don't want a new mom, do we? We want the old one made whole. That's the brokenness. That's the grief. We want the one, the original, made whole. 
If your house burns down and all your stuff with it, you don't want all new stuff. You want your stuff, your house restored. But when Jesus says he's making all things new, we know that he's talking about shalom or the coming wholeness of all that was lost, all that has been perverted or killed or taken. And that is our hope. Hope. You with me? So I'm not going to lie. This is good. Hope is imagination as it was meant to be. Hope is worry but redeemed. It is vision that sees the wholeness and harmony and beauty and truth in which we were created to thrive, and then it lives like we're headed there. And let's be honest, there's a lot of people that find that viewpoint foolish, radical, or naive, or just wrong. Some live in anxiety about the future. Some live in denial. Some just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die and it all burns down. And I get that. I get that. Look around. It's easy to say what they used to say on all those old news clips. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's easy to say that. It's easy to look around at the brutality and the sickness and the sorrow and the hatred that infests the planet and say that. That's easy. But real hope, it is always future-focused. It can see beyond what's right in front of its face in the present. It can see beyond the, mis the misery of history repeating itself. It can see the day that is coming when history doesn't have to repeat itself anymore. And this is why this is so very important. Because the way we see the future affects the way we live now. Okay, so think about that. The way we see the future affects how we live now. Where we believe we are going in the future deeply influences how we go about our present lives. Think about it like this. There's a huge difference, kids, you tell me if I'm right, okay? There's a huge difference in waking up for school on a random September morning than waking up for school on the last day of school. Doesn't that feel different? Yes, it does, Judah says. I agree. It feels different because of what is coming. So if we can really begin to own Isaiah's prophecies and Paul and Peter's teachings and John's visions, and most importantly, Jesus' promises that he will make all things new in the future, then it will change everything about how we live now. It will change everything about how we love now. Can you imagine that with me for just a second? Can you imagine a room full of Jesus followers, what they could do when they're living every day with a deep hope of the restoration and redemption of all things, influencing the way that they love and live? That is what this series is ultimately about. So we've all had those perfect moments. You know what I mean when time is kind of like standing still 
and your heart and your mind are just in sync and you're fully, fully present, you're completely there, those moments are transcendent. You are kind of rising above everything and you're just enraptured, right? Maybe it's the most spectacular beach sunset you've ever seen. I know we have some beach sunset junkies in the room. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was holding your child for the first time, if you've ever had that experience, or your little niece or nephew. Maybe it's Christmas morning. Right? I can think of a lot of those perfect moments, but here's, here's one of them for me. So a few years ago, Aaron and I, we went out on a date. And we had delicious food, and we had great conversation, and then we ended up just walking around downtown. And we heard music, and we were like, let's go over there. So we walked a ways. <clears throat> the weather was great. We get to uh, one of these downside, uh, downtown Riverside parks. And at the time, it was brand new. It was like a grand opening. And there was a concert going on. It's one of our favorite bands. The kids were playing. People were happy. And... We sat there, we held hands, didn't say a word, and that was a perfect moment. Oh, forgot to say, at the end of the concert, they shot fireworks up above the river. That was a perfect moment. That's hard to beat, right? You're just completely present. Those moments are full of, of pleasure and peace, and they're complete just as they are. There's no lack in those moments. And I think they resonate in the halls of our souls because I think we remember the music of Eden. I think the last chord of that symphony still rings out. And in those kind of moments, we hear it. We still hear it. Here's the point. Those moments, those are glimpses of shalom. Those are glimpses of wholeness, of earth as it should be. These are kingdom moments where the veil between heaven and earth wears a little more thin and the lines between the two begin to blur. But one thing that we know here and now is that those moments, they don't last, do they? They don't last. We live in a beautiful but fallen world. After that concert, we were all trying to leave and they raised a drawbridge. And so we all piled up like sardines and it got a little hot, and it got a little uncomfortable, and we had to wait for like 20 minutes. Uh, not so transcendent anymore, right? What about that beach sunset? It probably came with sand all over your car and not finding a restroom and having to hurry home to get to a restroom. You know, holding a newborn into perfect peace, how long did that last before somebody was crying? Maybe even the baby. And... Or filling up their diaper. You know, those moments don't last. Because we're not there yet. Creation is not whole yet. So the human soul is like a pilgrim. Right? We're journeying toward that wholeness. And on the way, we're trying to find those moments again. We're trying to hear the symphony of Eden again trying to find the paradise that was lost. But we know that those who have chosen Jesus, we have found the paradise with him. We've tasted and we've seen the restoration of our own souls. 
and it's a foretaste of the wholeness that is coming. We've experienced palingenesia. That's the Greek word for it, palingenesia. Let's read about that and explain that based on something Jesus said. So Matthew 19, 28 and 29. So um, Jesus just talked to the rich young ruler and said, hey, buddy, you've kept all the rules, but if you want to follow me, um, let me ask you about where your heart really is, which is your treasure. Um, if you would set that aside and follow me, then you'd get it. And the guy walks away sad, right? And so the disciples go, but Jesus, but we've left everything. Does that, is that going to count? Is basically what they're asking. And this is what he says. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, that's interesting. Okay, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Okay, so did you, did you hear that? Jesus says, in the new world... The Greek word for that is palingenesia. And it comes from two words. So if you break it apart, you have palin, which is again, and then genesia. That comes from the word genesis. What, what does that word mean, church? Genesis. Does it mean the end or the beginning? Yes, the beginning. That's right. So begin. Again, palingenesia means rebirth or regeneration. That is the word that Jesus uses there when he said that. Truly I say to you, in the palingenesia, in the regeneration, in the rebirth, what's he talking about? What is this new world? Is he talking about heaven? Well, yes and no. Bear with me now. Really, bear with me, okay? See, when Jesus talked about heaven, as long as we're talking about the future, when Jesus talked about heaven, he most often used this phrase, kingdom of heaven, right? And there are some people that say that would usually accurately be more, uh, more accurately translated as kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Either way, the idea of the world being awful and headed for destruction while all Christians who have said magical words go to a place in the sky when they die, that's not exactly biblical. So remember that time I asked you to bear with me? Keep bearing. Okay. When the word heaven is used in the Bible in both Hebrew and Greek, it can refer to one of three places in the Jewish cosmology in the way that ancient Jewish minds saw up there, okay? So three things that they could refer to. So basically, to put it simply, the sky and then space beyond that, and then the third heaven, which is thought to be a realm inhabited by God and the angels. 
So when you see the word heaven in the Bible, you kind of need to know which one of those they're talking about, right? But the, the word heaven is never used in the Bible in a phrase that's like, go to heaven or go to heaven when you die. It's not really there. Do you know what both the ancient Hebrews and the Israelites in the time of Jesus and the early Christians believed? That heaven wasn't a place that you go to when you die, but that heaven is God's realm and the fallen earth is man's realm. And one day, God's realm would envelop the worldly realm again. One day, all would be set right again by the union of heaven and earth, by the reunion of heaven and earth. Again, Jesus called that, he called that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, a restored earth, remade in its original design, paradise found again. Now, if some of this sounds new to you, that's okay, right? That's okay. We're here to learn, and there may be some discomfort around that profound reframing that we're talking about, and that's okay. But let's look at something to help us understand this. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. Matthew 6. So the disciples had asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. You seem to have some sort of connection with God. Teach us how to pray. And so this is what he said. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that? The prayer isn't to hasten the day when we go to heaven. That's not how Jesus taught us to pray. The prayer is to ask for God's kingdom to come. To come where? To come here. Do you see that? The prayer is your kingdom come here. Wrap us back up in the kingdom of God. And then it asks God for his will to be done on earth just like it is in heaven. And that may be the simplest definition of shalom I can give you. The simplest definition of the coming wholeness, of the restoration of all things that I can give you. God, your will be done here like it is in your realm. That is the end of the story that we're praying for. That is the restoration of all things that we are hoping for. The reunion of heaven and earth, the kingdom of God, hidden in plain sight in the Lord's Prayer. N.T. Wright says it like this, It is not we who go to heaven. It is heaven that comes to earth. The final answer to the Lord's prayer that God's kingdom will come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And church, we've seen that union before though we haven't seen the reunion restoration of all things enveloped into the kingdom of God, we've seen that kind of union before in Jesus Christ. 
Because in Jesus, God and man were one. Heaven and earth were united in Jesus. Like the perfection of the Garden of Eden, he, he was shalom. He was wholeness embodied. And then he was killed because the powers of darkness wanted to keep heaven and earth apart. But God raised Jesus from the dead. And through resurrection, Jesus embodies now the new heaven and earth, the kingdom of God united. And the plan for the restoration of all things through him was and still is in motion. In Jesus, we see the coming union of the kingdom of God and this earth. We see the banners of the kingdom of God raised all over this earth. There are so many teachings and prophecies and visions and writings on this in the Bible, on the union of heaven and earth. And we're going to explore those in the next few weeks. But for today, we're going to go and look at the revelation that was given to John. So in the book of Revelation, we know that John does his best to use symbols and metaphor to describe this dream that he had about the end of everything, about the end of the story that we're talking about. In short, you could put it like this. John read the last page of the redemption story and did his best to write it down. So, Revelation 21. Revelation 21, starting at the beginning of the chapter. You with me? Okay. Here we go. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear, every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then we get to our memory verse. Read it with me one more time. Ready? One, two, three, go. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Come on now. That's what the end of the story looks like. That is the completion of the one true narrative of redemption. The union of God's realm and the earthly realm, like a bride and groom on their wedding day. The old order of things passed away, and God's way is the way for all nations. Does that sound good to you? This is the future that Pastor Melody spoke of last week. 
This is the future that we agree with and then participate in. This is what all of our hope looks toward. This. And the Garden of Eden that was lost in the fall returns, but this time as the new Jerusalem. Everything's come full circle, and shalom is the law of the land. Now, reading on in chapter 21, down to verse 22. So John is still looking at the new city, the new Jerusalem, okay? He says, I did not see a temple in the city. There's no churches in the new Jerusalem? What's that all about? Well, here's why. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. Okay. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, the old Garden of Eden, it needed a sun and moon, remember? But the new Jerusalem will not, because Jesus, the light of the world, will be enough. Where the garden entrance used to be guarded with a flaming sword, the gates of the new Jerusalem, of the new Eden, will remain wide open. But some things remain the same. There was no need for temple in the Garden of Eden because God's presence was the atmosphere, and the same will be true in the new earth. Band, you guys can come back up. Now, to Revelation 22. John is still on this tour of the New Jerusalem. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree, the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. The tree of life from the Garden of Eden that was lost has returned. And this time, it's for the healing of all Nations, can you see it? Eden made new, the earth made new, paradise found again, creation restored, all things new. That is our hope. That is our specific and true hope. That is an anchor to our souls. Hebrews 6, 19 says it like this from the message. 
we who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. That is how present the truth of our restored future, of the coming shalom, that's how present that's supposed to be in our, in our hearts every day. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline because we know how the story ends. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to zoom in even closer into this. We're going to talk about what does that mean when it says that all of creation will be restored? What does it mean that we ourselves will be restored and everything that we've lost? And then finally, we're going to talk about what does all of this mean? for us today, right here and right now? How does it change how we live and love now? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the chance to look this truth in the face this morning, and I pray for courage as we look at it. I pray that it won't sound too good to be true but that it will sound like the truest thing we've ever heard. I pray that we will be bold and brave enough to believe it, to look at it, and to keep looking at it, to keep believing that it's true, and to live more and more as if it's true, God. I thank you for the way that you draw our hearts toward the one true narrative of redemption. And as we look at your word and we look at your promises, I pray that it will just light up like never before. And it will change us. It will transform us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you guys will stand with us, we're going to sing a song. We sang it together at Easter. None of you are here with us. And this song is a response song. So Pastor Benjamin's going to sing these beautiful words about the truth of the creation made new, and then we're gonna sing our answer. So if you'll sing along with Danielle on the answer part and let these words soak into your soul, guys, because this is true.